You're listening to the Covenant Original Series, Do It Again. God has been faithful, God is faithful, and God will be faithful. We believe that God is a faithful God, but the question is, can we find contentment in God's faithfulness? I wonder if you would agree with me on this statement. It's a statement that we've taken from a quote um, from Elizabeth Elliot. If you don't know who that is, you should it's worth a Google, and uh, she is she is an awesome she was an awesome Christian missionary. But the idea is this: we're going to put this on the screen, and I wonder if you would agree. The way we live manifests the truth of what we believe. I'll say it one more time: the way that we live manifests the truth of what we believe. All this month, we've been talking about the faithfulness of God, and we believe that God is faithful. Would you would you agree with that? Yes. God has been faithful, God is faithful, God will be faithful. When we remember God's faithfulness and recognize his faithfulness in the present, it gives us confidence to move into the future, knowing God will continue to be faithful, yes. And so we believe this. We say say that we believe this. But the way that we live actually manifests the truth of what we believe. You know, it's, it's one thing to say that you believe in something. It's another thing to demonstrate that you believe it by the way you live. And so that's why we say, once again, the way we live manifests the truth of what we believe. And so I'm going to kind of take a, a sharp turn here in the middle of the series, and I want to I wade into some, I, I think, probably some dangerous territory. Is that fair? Would you allow me to do that? Some kind of challenging uh, stuff here. And um, I think that kind of hits up against, really, if we believe through our lifestyles that God is faithful. So I'm going to ask you a question. Feel free to raise your hand, or you don't have to. Um, but, but how many of you would right now just say that you are pretty content? Would you say, I'm a pretty content person? Raising of hands? Yeah. Uh, how many of you would say, like, my financial situation, kind of like my housing situation, sure, it could be better or whatever, but I'm a, I'm a pretty content individual. Yeah? Show of hands? Come on. Anybody? Yeah? Okay, good. Uh, and for those of us who would raise our hand, or maybe you didn't because you don't like crowd participation, um, or you don't want to give away that you're actually a happy individual, okay, whatever it is, um, here's a question I have for you. Uh, for those of you who would, who would say that you're, you know, pretty content, the question is this, how many of you are still pursuing more? How many of you, we would say that we're pretty content, you know, and yet we're still pursuing more. Take a moment just to think about that, would you? We're content with what we have, but we're still pursuing more. And those of you who say that you're totally content with what you've got and you're pursuing more, it's interesting. I've met people that would say, I'm, I'm, I'm set. Financially, I'm good. In my house, I'm good. I got my car paid off. Like, things are good. Got my kids through college. That's paid. I'm good. But I'm still pursuing more. I'm still trying to get more and more and more. And, and the question, which is a simple question, but it's a question for us today, right? If you're totally content with what you've got, why do you want more? If you're totally content with what you've got, then, then why do you want more? Now, I know anytime a pastor starts to talk about money, and, and I was talking with a, a, a lady before service, and she's like, this is my first time here. And I'm like, oh, great, because we're talking about money. So glad, you know? Because I know, like, the perception is, oh, it's just a money thing. It's a money thing. So let's change the topic. Let's talk about something we all like, like food. Can we do that? Um, there's this place. I mean, I like, okay, that was a pretty weak response for something you have to have to live. But anyway, um, I don't know if you know about this place, but there's a place, um, and I guess it depends on which version of the Bible you read, 
But on the eighth day, I know we talk about like seven days of creation. On the eighth day, I don't know if your version of the scripture talks about this, God created Texas de Brazil. Does your version of scripture say that? Yeah, I don't know. Um, All jokes aside, this place is amazing. And it's so much fun to go uh, by yourself. No, don't go by yourself. That's weird. That's like the guy who eats uh, golden crowl in sweatpants. Don't do that either. That was a low point in my life. Anyway, um, so you go to Texas de Brazil. If you don't understand the concept, they give you this little, this little card. One side's green, which means go, keep going. Red is I'm going to die if I eat more food. Um, and so these guys come around with, with, with these swords just filled with meat, right? And they're like different cuts of meat, gorgeous, beautiful, luscious, just wonderful tasting meat. And what happens um, is this. You, you just leave it on green. I love this because you don't even have to talk. You just, if it's there, more food, please. It's just amazing. And so they'll come by. So what happens is I'll go and I'll flip that card over after I've eaten already way too much. I've sinned in eating already at this point in time. And then what happens is a guy will come around and he'll say, oh, sir, I see that you flipped your card over to red, but would you like a little more? And, and here's the thing. I'm just a really caring person. I care about this man's job. That's his profession. I don't want to hurt his feelings. And so what, what I do is I, I reach over to that card and I just, okay. You know, and I turn it back over. And, and I'll say, you know, I know that I'm stuffed, but I could cram a little. I could put a little. What, what is it about us that even when we're full, we want a little more? What is it about us when we, we are completely content? We, if we see something, we want to reach out and get it. we got to have more. we got to get more stuff. And so in our teaching today, Jesus is going to, is, is this interaction that Jesus has with somebody, he's going he's to respond to this interaction. He's going to turn around and teach from this interaction. And it's surrounding this word, which if I'm honest, I don't know that we've, we, we, we've heard a lot of teachings or sermons or, or whatever um, over this particular word. And the word is this, greed. Greed. Now, we may not think of ourselves as overly greedy people. In, in fact, if you were to raise your, if I were to, if I were to take a poll and say, how many of us are, are greedy? Probably not too many people would raise their hand. Now, if I were to say like, hey, raise your hand if you think your spouse is greedy, they'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, really, right? But I'm already filled up with marriage counseling, so we don't want to get into that right now, right? Um, no, the idea is like, we don't really think of greed that much in America. We don't, we don't really think it's a bad thing. Maybe, maybe we even celebrate greed. We say, maybe we disguise it. They're like, nah, that dude's just cutthroat. Or, or he's an uber entrepreneur. Or he's just really effective in business strategy. And all those things might be true, but you know what else could be true? He might be, she might be, just a really greedy person. We don't see greed as an issue. We see it as, as, a, as like a mean, uh, uh, you know, it justifies the end result. If, if greed is what it takes to get where you need to go, if greed is what it takes to provide for your family, I'm gonna get mine. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go do me, I'm gonna go get mine. I'm gonna work hard and, it's, and it's, it's something we don't necessarily take seriously. If there's an affair, that's a big deal. If, if there's abuse, that's a big deal. If someone is struggling with lust, that's a big deal. We see those things like, that, that's, that's some legit sin. That's legitimate sin. But greed, eh, whatever. I mean, yeah, we'll get, we'll get around to that. We'll put that on the back burner. It's not really that big of a deal. So instead of, of, seeing, instead of seeing greed as egregious to God, we see it as like a secondary sin. Is this making sense? In fact, for many of us, I wonder if we've ever, ever even considered the question, am I a greedy person? 
We, we think of greedy people as like Scrooge McDucks. You remember that show, Duck Tales? Man, I grew up, I would come home, woo, I would come home and I would turn that on and I would dream about being Scrooge McDuck and going up to my vault and just swimming in money. Although that probably like in reality probably wouldn't work. If you jumped into a 12-story vault of money, you would probably die. I'm just saying like he's swimming in money. Okay, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. You get my point, right? Um, we kind of view like that's greed. He's got all the stuff and he's keeping it all for himself. That's what greed is. But we don't, we don't like see our level of life as greedy because there's somebody always that has something more than we do, you know? Scripture is very clear about greed. In fact, in the Old Testament, it's one of the 10 commandments. It says, thou shalt not covet. That's greed. All right, all right, all right, pastor. Had to go all the way to the Old Testament to get some validation to talk about greed. All right, let's update it a little bit. How about we go to the New Testament? Here's a fact for you. Do you realize that 15%, 15% of everything Jesus talked about was about money? 15% of everything that Jesus talked about, uh, that he spoke about, had to do with money. Jesus talked more about your finances than heaven and hell combined. Why? Because apparently it's important. Apparently, there's an issue here. Apparently, there's some kind of a, of a link between money and having it maybe or the pursuit of it and this greed issue. Now, listen, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I, I strongly don't believe that Jesus is against you having money. Not at all. I think it's the mindset behind it. It's the heart condition behind it. And so this is where we're going to jump in today. I want you to open up Scripture to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, and if you're listening in on podcast and you're driving down a road listening to this, don't open your Bibles. We'll read it to you. Is that fair? Can we say that? Luke chapter 12 starts like this. Verse 13 says, someone in the crowd said to him, read this with me, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, so apparently there's this brother. He's getting into a squabble with his other brother over money. <gasps> I can't believe that. That never happens. <laughs> you don't have a brother. Um, and so they come to Jesus, and this man obviously sees Jesus as an authority, and he goes to me and says, hey, Jesus, um, you know, I mean, I know you know the Old Testament law, and it talks about dividing up an inheritance and how, how it's to happen. Can you please um, tell this, this, my brother, how that works? That's a reasonable request. Would you agree? This man sees Jesus as an authority, comes to him and says, hey, can you please help tell my brother, um, and this is a reasonable request. But look how Jesus responds to this reasonable request. Look at this, verse 14. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, that's greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Yikes, way to go, Jesus. That's a little harsh, isn't it? For a guy that's making a reasonable request, recognizing that you are an authority and coming to you to settle the dispute, it seems like Jesus is kind of going overboard here in like throwing this guy under the bus and then using him as an example to issue a warning to Christians. Jesus turns to the crowd and says, be on the lookout, make sure that you don't become greedy like that guy. I mean, I love to be mentioned in the Bible, right? But not that way, like that guy, right? 
And Jesus literally, he's like, Why? I'm not here to be a judge over your petty issues concerning a couple bucks with your brother. He said, I'm, I'm here for something else. My role here is to do something larger. And I'm not here to get distracted and caught up in your little division over, over a couple bucks like this. And then he looks at the crowd and he issues this warning. And so I know oftentimes we read scripture and I don't know how you ingest scripture, but sometimes, depending on my mood, I have the tendency to kind of gloss over some stuff. You ever do that? Maybe you're keeping up with your, 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 your Bible app, or maybe you're in an accountability group, or maybe you go to a Sea Life group, which we would encourage you to do. Sunday's just the start here for us as a church. In small groups, we get together. We're going to grow in our relationship with Christ. But even sometimes through that, I'm glossing over Scripture. I'm just reading it. And this is a passage that we cannot afford to gloss over. At first glance, it doesn't seem all that important. But Jesus does something here. He issues a warning. And this is why we have to take this seriously. When the Son of God issues a warning, we need to take it seriously. He says, Watch out. Watch out. Protect yourself against all forms of covetousness. Let me ask you, when was the last time, listen, now look at me real quick, listen. When was the last time you were concerned about your level of personal greed? I mean, for many of us, this is probably not even anything we've even thought about. Well, I'm not a greedy person, so I'm not really worried about the level of my greed. You know what I discovered? And this is really frustrating to discover. I discovered this about myself, studying through this text, praying through this text, preparing to share this text with you as my brothers and sisters in Christ in our church. I discovered something alarming about myself. I am a greedy person. Now, maybe you could say, hey, we all knew that. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, I'm saying I didn't know that about myself. I didn't know that was an area of sin in my life. I didn't realize that I wrestled with this sin of greed. But after I've read through this, I've really truly come to be, man, shocked to find out that I wrestle with greed. And so as I speak this morning, as I continue to preach, I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm gonna ask you to, to not assume that you're not greedy. Don't assume that this sermon is for someone else. Do you hear me? Don't assume that. I mean, and, and by saying don't assume, I'm saying like, don't placate me. Like, be honest with yourself. Allow God to work and move. Yeah, it's very important. Let's get a working definition for greed. Let's set the tone here. Um, maybe a working definition for the word would be, uh, you know, wanting more than you currently have. Maybe hurting other people to get what you want, being selfish, I don't know. But the word here uh, for covetousness, the word for greed in its original writing in Greek, as used by, in Scripture here, is the word pleonexia. It's, it's kind of like made up of two words, pleonexia. Let me hear, let's just break it up, right, because it's kind of fun. In eighth grade, we used, to, we used to call people playa, you know what I mean? We're like, yo, what a playa. Anyway, man, I hate that that was just recorded. Um, oh, oh, man. Why don't you try that with me, though? Let me hear you say playa. Playa, and let me hear you say exia. Playa actually means, playa actually means more. Exia means to have. What's the definition of greed? The desire to have more. The desire to have more. 
And so Jesus issues this warning. It's the same issue that Paul issues to Timothy as he's training him as a pastor. Second, first Timothy, rather, chapter six, verses six through 10, he says, Paul says, as an instruction to this young pastor, Timothy, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Let me hear you say godliness with contentment. In fact, he says, he goes on to say, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we should be or we will be content. Listen to his words here now. But for those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Pause real quick. Can we just get something real like straight that bothers me when we reference this? People are like, oh, that guy likes money. He's got money. He's evil. He, he, he's evil. Money, because why? Because money is the root of all evil. Where'd you get that? That God said it. He wrote that book. It's in, the, it, money is the root of all, that's for, okay, that's not what it says. You got it wrong twice. It's not money is the root of all evil. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Can we just say that? It's a mindset. God is not against you having money. He is, uh, he, is, he is calling into question what you do with your money. He's calling into question the heart and the mindset behind that. Okay, just so we're, just so we're clear here. And he says it's the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Contentment and the faithfulness of God is of great gain. In fact, Paul says, listen, Tim, if you have food, and you have clothes, that's all you need. If you have food and you have clothes, you should find contentment. When you add food and clothing with the faithfulness of God, what else do you need in your life? You should be content in those things. Very difficult in a, in a land of comfort that we can't find contentment. Isn't that a little disconcerting? In a land of comfort, we can't find contentment. And this hits at the essence of what Jesus was saying in Luke. He's talking to this, about this man's heart and this man's soul. And he's saying like, man, you could get more and more and more and more, but that is not what your life is about. You run the risk of, of ruining your life. You, you run the risk of missing what your life is all about if all your life is about is just getting more stuff. And let's be honest. We got a lot of stuff, do we not? We have a lot of stuff. In fact, oftentimes we have so much stuff, we have to go pay rent on other stuff to store our stuff. We don't have a large enough stuff to stuff our stuff in, so we gotta go get more stuff to put other stuff in. And then sometimes we have to get other stuff to put that stuff in and other stuff. Have you ever had stuff that you forgot you even had? The other day I'm going through the garage and I'm pulling out and I'm like, I forgot about, I forgot I had all this stuff. And I was like, wait, that's really bad. Because I looked at it and I was like, oh, I really need this, I really need this. And I forgot that I've had it for three years. Apparently I don't need it that much. We have so much stuff. And the problem, once again, is that Jesus here is, is, is talking about this, this man's heart. He's talking about the deeper issue. Let me say it like this. This man comes to Jesus and is talking about money, gives a reasonable request, but here's how we miss it. Are you listening? Here's how we miss it. This man is standing before Jesus and starts talking about an inheritance. On the nose, it doesn't seem like anything's wrong with that. 
but he's standing before the one who spoke the world into existence. And he uses his time to talk about a petty argument with his brother. This man gets FaceTime with the Son of God, the very one who would die and rise again so that we could have a relationship with God. And this man uses that time to try to get him to settle an argument about money. See how easy it is to miss it? See how easy it is to miss it? And here's this, here's this little world that we live in, and, and we're these little people who this great big God says, I know this is this world, and these people, but I care about you. I love you. I'm sending my son to die for you, to make a way for you to get to me, to take away sin, to, to give grace and forgiveness and justice and hope. And we're like, yeah, but I need more stuff. I, need, I mean, I need more stuff. Thanks, God, but... My world is more important than you. I need me some stuff. Listen, listen, listen. At some point in your life, you have to evaluate what is worth more. What is this versus that worth? Is, is your new car worth more than Jesus? Am I against getting a new car? No, not at all. That's not what I'm saying. It's the mindset and the heart behind it. I'm just saying, what, what is that compared to that. What is our stuff compared to Jesus? This man's focus was off. His life consisted of material possessions. And Jesus goes on to say that a man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his stuff. Now it's funny. It's funny because as I talk about this, I'm willing to bet that most of us would say, well, you know what? I'm pretty content with what I have. I mean, I'm good. Honestly, I don't really care much about that, about that stuff. I'm, I'm sort of what you'd call a minimalist. I watched a documentary on it. I decided that's what I am. Okay. All right. Um, and, and so for those of us who would say, like, I'm pretty content. I don't need a lot of stuff. We say that we don't really care that much about stuff. My, my question is, do, if you're honest with yourself, objectively now, do, do, do your thoughts betray you, though? How often do you think about stuff and getting stuff? And having something that belongs to someone else. We all have that friend who's always getting new stuff. You know what I mean? And we love him and we hate him at the same time. Because they'll invite him, hey, come over to my new house. And part of me is like, yeah, I'm really excited for you. The other part of me is like, I don't want to go and see your nice stuff. Like, I don't want to get in your nice car. Because it makes something inside of me says like, I want your stuff. I want your things. And because I don't have the nice things that you have or the nice thing in that area, I want that stuff. That's, you know what? That's something broken in me. That's the greed in me. That's the selfishness in me, right? And yet we say, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty content person. I, I really don't need stuff, but our time, does our time show what we care about? Do our thoughts show what we care about? What does our en energy go towards? Surely, as people who follow Christ, listen in now, we would say, as good Christians would say, we care more about Jesus than we do our stuff. Right? We would say that. We care more about Jesus than we care about our stuff. But let's be honest. If we're going to wake up on a Sunday morning and we're going to show up to church, let's just be really, really, really honest. I don't want to waste your time. And I don't want you to waste your own time. I want us to be honest because the fact of the matter is 
We say that we care more about Jesus than our stuff, yet we set up our entire world to revolve around the getting of stuff. The getting and the having and the procurement of things. And we will sacrifice everything, everyone, anything to get that stuff. We'll read difficult pieces of scripture where Jesus says, in order to be my follower, you must hate your father, hate your mother, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And we're like, man, that's a hard teaching. I just got to really figure out if I can buy into that. Jesus says you have to sacrifice and we make questions. But over here, things and finances tell us that we have to make sacrifices and we do it without question. We will sacrifice our children for money. We will sacrifice our wife for money. We will sacrifice relationships for money. We will sacrifice our health and sleep to get more money. Jesus says, make me first in your life. And we're like, no way. But when it comes to getting money, overtime is always the greatest option. We don't have time to read. We don't have time to pray. Show up to church more than one time. Serve? Are you kidding me? No. But we can work. We can get more money. We can all get more. We set up lives in our culture today that revolve around being greedy. And the harder we run at it, the less content we become. It is this void that we cannot fill. Why is it that Jesus spent 15% of his time on earth talking about money? I'll tell you why. It's because it competes with Jesus as the sole king of your life. And Jesus is going to go hard on that every time. When you talk about idolatry, I want you to know there is only one, there is only place for one on the seat of your heart. And Jesus will not take that lightly. Jesus will not go light on that, soft on your greed. He demands to be number one or nothing at all. He will not compete with that. And yet we elevate it honestly to that place. It's a problem that we sacrifice these things for that. It's not about this. It's about bringing God glory. In fact, so this is why Jesus goes into this, this parable that I want to share with you. He says it like this. Luke chapter 12 He chastises his man, he turns and gives a warning, and then he launches into this parable. Look at this, in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 16, he says, and he told him a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I got too much stuff. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Pretty simple story. However, implications are terrifying. (laughs) I know a lot of you uh, might not be, you know, farmers growing crops in your yard. Um, I think my wife and I, you know, we live out in the middle of nowhere. 
in a dilapidated barn that we're trying to refurb. And uh, we got chickens and a pig and a bunch of kids. And uh, that's our story. But we also have this gigantic garden. My wife, my wife loves to grow tomatoes and, and onions and potatoes and all these things and okra. And basically what I do is I eat what she grows. That's kind of how the exchange works. She grows except okra. That I pull off the, the, the plant and throw away into the garbage because it's disgusting. Anyway, besides the point. This man, basically, just to kind of understand here, he has a bunch of stuff. He gets a lot of stuff. And he says, I know. What am I going to do with all my stuff? He says, I know. I'll build bigger barns. So I'm going to tear down my other barns. I'm going to build bigger barns to keep all my stuff. And I have all this stuff. And then when I need it, I can just go take from it. And then I can just eat, drink, and be merry and relax for the rest of my life. And Jesus uses this parable, and he, and he, and he like, chastises this man, if, if you would. And he says that it's all good, but God, that very night, was going to demand that man's life. So it's all well and good. You got all this stuff. You got a barn holding all your stuff, but you fool. Tonight, I'm going to take your life. And what is all that stuff worth? And he says, that's how it's going to be for the person who is not, catch this, listen now, who is not rich towards God. This is how it's going to be for the person who's not rich towards God. Simple story, but like I said, this story is terrifying, and not for the reason that you might think. You know what I discovered reading through this after I read through this a couple times, began to pray about it, think about it, mull it over, and allow the Holy Spirit to work and move? As I read through it, I realized Jesus is describing the American dream in this passage. Get it, get it bigger, store it up, sit back in your life and take from it. Drink, eat, relax, be merry. It's the American dream. That is the dream that we're all chasing and Jesus uses it as the very definition of greed. You see a problem with that? You see an issue with that? It's this preoccupation with our stuff. It's this preoccupation with, with money. Jesus, once again, isn't concerned with, with you having stuff, but he is clearly concerned with the mindset and the heart behind your stuff. And it's interesting. Jesus, in this parable, uses the word demand when he talks about God mentioning this man. He says, you fool, tonight I will demand your soul. And Jesus uses, it's fascinating, this word demand is a financial term talking about paying back on a loan. And so God is what, it, what God's basically saying is, I'm going to demand, like someone would demand to be paid back alone, I'm going to demand your life back from you. Think about it. Think about it. Have you ever thought of your life as alone? Because apparently that's how God views it. You're like, this is my life. I've done that. Okay, hold on a second. Whose air is in your lungs? Who gave you? Your life is God. Who has the ability to create life? Who has the ability to take life at any point in time? It's, it's God. God is loaning my life to me. And at any point in time, he can demand it back from me. Your life is not your own. You think you can keep your life? 
You think you can do anything to sustain your life? Do you think it's your life? Here's the truth. Your life is a loan from God, which one day will be collected. Oh, listen to me now, church. Your life is a loan from God, which one day will be collected. We have to realize that our life is on loan. And we have to be honest, furthermore, about evaluating whether or not we're giving God good interest. Case in point, right now, if my life were to be demanded from me, would I be found a faithful investment? Would I be found uh, being someone who had stewarded this loan properly? This man in this parable would not have been. He was caught in the middle of chasing this dream of getting stuff, having stuff, building bigger things to hold his stuff, then sitting back and chilling for the rest of his life. And God says, you fool. Jesus uses it as the definition of greed. And we define it as the American dream. And even with us listening right now, we're, we're fighting against that because it rubs up against us. We're like, oh, I don't know if I like that. I don't, I don't really know that. And this whole passage, though, is about greed. But it's also about finding contentment in the faithfulness of God. As a follower of Christ, we should find contentment in the faithfulness of God. Knowing that my life is his. I don't want to miss out on what he created me for. I want to be faithful. I don't want to... I don't want to miss out on my life just because I spent the duration of my life trying to acquire stuff that I can't take with me anyway. So let me ask you, which of these three statements best describes you? I don't have enough. I'm content. I've got too much. Which one? I don't, ha I, I don't have enough. I'm content. I've got too much. Now, don't compare it to your neighbor in relation to them. In relation, you have to ask yourself in this in relation to all of history and time and other parts of the country. Do you, do you not have enough? Do you not have enough? You're like, okay, you're kind of going hard here on this. No, I'm just, let's put it in perspective. Do you have enough? Do you not have enough? For most of us, if we're honest, we would say we have too much. Way too much. We, we have so much. And yet we are all in the process, listen to me now, of trying to get more. We have too much and we're trying to get more. Now listen, the issue is not about how much money you make. That's not sin. The issue is what do you do with your money? Are you rich towards God? Are you rich towards God or are you trying to be rich towards yourself? Could these three words describe you? Could you say, I am rich towards God. It's really interesting. Listen to this. It's really interesting. All the stats show us um, that people who, who actually make more money actually give a smaller percentage to charities. Actually give a smaller percentage. Percentage. The more a person makes, the smaller the percentage he gives to a charity. He may give money, more money, but it's at a smaller percentage. And you know, it's the same inside of churches as well. Isn't it interesting? normally, the more that someone makes, the less percentage-wise they will actually, uh, actually, they will actually tile. Pe people who are, who are well-off go something like this. Well, man, if I gave 10%, that would be too, like if I was obedient to tithe, 10% as scripture said, do you, do you know how much money that would be? That'd be like 15, 20 grand a year that I'd be like tithing. Yeah. 
I mean, it's easier for somebody that doesn't make like that, like make a good amount of money because, you know, they might be like tithing like two or $3,000 a year if they're tithing biblically. Like, okay, but man, I make like 150, I make $250,000. Do you know how much money that would be? And so we all have excuses, but none of us are obedient. We all want to say, like, we all want to justify this, but none of us, do, do you understand the meaning of this passage? Do you get this? We, we say that, that our hearts are towards God. We say that money isn't an idol, and yet we can't do baseline obedience with our God. That's a problem. And just so you know, we are not hurting as a church. This is not a plea to try and pick your pockets. I don't, that's not it. This is a plea for you to be obedient to your God and rich towards him. This is a plea to knock down the idol that is on the throne of your heart in comfortable mid-America and say, I need to be rich towards him. I need to find comfort and consistent contentment in God's faithfulness instead of my stuff. We have to get this. It's a generational curse that is going over and over and over and over. It invades our children at a young age and it continues to grow up inside of them through their teenage years and their young adult years. We, buy, we get credit cards. We're maxed out. We're stressed out. We're freaked out. We're getting divorced because of money. We can't live and we're crippled because of it all because we want more stuff that means absolutely nothing absolutely nothing and all the while you're ruining your life. You're missing on what you were made for. You're missing for what, on what you were created for. One of the issues with preaching through a passage like this is that stereotypical view of a church and a pastor, which is they just want a bunch of money. I get that. I, I get that. But I'm willing to risk that view. Banking on my relationship with you, knowing that I want the best for you, and knowing that I was convicted at such a deep level on this personally that I couldn't keep it to myself. I had to dump it on you too. I just had to, right? And to be honest with you, here's the truth. You know, in my own faith walk, in my own journey, do you know when I've seen God produce more faith in me than ever? It's in those moments where I didn't really know how I was going to continue, or Vanessa and I were going to continue to be faithful in giving and tithing. I don't really know how we're going to do this. We're going to have to kind of move on faith, and, and we would move on faith and give on faith. And then seeing God provide every time. Do you know how much that grew my faith? Do you, do you know how deep our Father's pockets are? Do you know how strong my faith grew because of that, knowing that he would provide? Now, always wasn't with a check. God's not an ATM. He's not a slot machine. You put in this, you might win it big. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that God is faithful. I am saying that he will provide. I am saying that you can't outgive God. I am saying that he will always take care of you. And the shame is this. I'm gonna close with this in a moment. The shame is this. I, here's what I can't have happen, Okay. I, or I don't want to happen. I don't want us to get to the end of our journey as a church and to turn around and say, man, I wonder what we could have done if we were just baseline obedient and giving. I wonder what we could have developed in this community. I wonder how we could have taken care of single mothers. I wonder how we could have done away with poverty in our, in our local context. 
I wonder how we could have planted more churches. I wonder how we could support this and that and that. I don't want us to do, do you want to do that? I don't want to do that. I don't want to wonder what we could have done. I want us to be obedient now and find out what we're going to do. I don't want to launch, I don't want to have building campaigns. I want us to give faithfully and obediently. That's what I desire. And if we just would do that, if we just would be radically obedient to the gospel, I truly believe that we would see great things and God would do it over and over and over and over and over again. Amen? Now, don't worry. We're not gonna pass a second offering. Somebody said, you should pass a second offering after your sermon. We're not gonna do that. Just kidding. Man, would you come forward? At the, no, I'm just joking. We're not gonna do that. Just going. Listen, here's how I want you to eat this sermon. I want you to take it home. I want you to chew on it. I want you to let it marinate and, and, and resonate inside of you slowly this week, okay? I want you to discuss it with your wife or your husband. Discuss it with your Sea Life group. And let's see God do some great things. Amen? Thanks for listening to this message from Covenant Church. For more information on our ministries or to hear more messages just like this, visit us at covenantchurch.us.